Good morning, guys. Last service, I almost ate it on that thing, so I'm going to try to stay over here. Does that still look awesome? Do I look awesome up here? All right, good. Uh, Yeah, so we are no longer in the series, Love Where You Live, so don't have to do that anymore. That's awesome. That was so annoying, wasn't it? It's good to be over that. Just kidding. But we are, this is the first week of our new series. We're starting uh, Christmas Is. Christmas Is. And I don't know about you guys, but Christmas is a lot of things to our family. I don't know, like, what crazy Christmas traditions you guys have. They're just, I actually asked the high school the other day. There is somebody in our high school whose Christmas tradition, Kelly, what was it? It was to hang pickles from their tree. Hang, they hang pickles. Any pickle hangers in here? That's the weirdest thing of all time. You'll never convince me that's not weird. Uh, We are trying a new tradition uh, this year. We're hanging, no we're not. We're we're doing this thing, maybe some of you guys are with me. It's an online gift giving thing. So eight of our relatives have signed up for this and you are randomly given somebody and that's the only person you have to give gifts to. So you don't know who has you, but you have one of these eight relatives and then you just buy gifts for one person. Is anyone doing this? Okay, you can go on there, it's kind of cool. You can go on, there's like a little online message board that you can leave messages on and you fill out a wish list on this thing. So put five items under $20 and all is right with the world, except of course, I get one of the two people who refuses to fill out a wish list on this thing. And so I have no idea what to get this person. And so now I'm going on the message boards and doing these really ambiguous messages, right? Like, all right, remember, this is an all play. Uh, (laughs) Smiley face. Um, It doesn't affect me personally, but let's all fill out our wish list. Yay. (laughs) It's just so obvious who I have, and I'm just ruining Christmas, and it's the worst. And nobody is less excited than the person who I have, because I'm the worst gift giver ever. My wife and I both are, actually. So that's our strength finders result. We're bad gift givers. We actually re-gift all the time. So you'll probably end up getting something you've given me back. And so we're going to go on this. Kristen's going to end up getting my stepdad. You know, I'm giving him a breast pump or something. And (laughs) it's just... That's Christmas with the cowgills. I'll have to navigate that. He's he's a handyman, so we'll figure out how to unclog toilets with it or something. Who knows? (laughs) But that's that's Christmas for us, or these thoughts of just just gifts and Kenny G and breast pumps. Like that's what that's pretty much what Christmas is to us. And for you guys, maybe that's where your mind goes. You just think Christmas and you think airfare or you think shopping. How about last week? Now Black Friday somehow goes from Wednesday to Saturday. I don't know how that works, but it does. And then tomorrow we have Cyber Monday, and it's just total chaos. And for a lot of us, that's the reality of Christmas. That's what Christmas is. The other side of the coin, which is tough and hard to talk about, is that for a lot of people, Christmas has the undertone of pain a lot of times. Um, There are strained relationships. You know, people aren't on speaking terms, and there's no harder time during the year than Christmas to kind of deal with those, and um, sometimes Christmas can be a reminder of sickness or death or, you know, just the frailty of life, and, and it's tough, and you just feel the whole world is celebrating, and I got to put on this happy face and do the dance and act like everything's good, and we recognize that that's a reality that's there. We 
are inviting this year as a church, we're taking this approach to celebrate the season of Christmas. We want to celebrate and gear our hearts, set our hearts in for the season of Christmas. So more than just preparing for December 25th, we are recognizing that there is celebration, that there is truth that God communicates about the season of Christmas, and that this is a time for us to recalibrate our hearts, for us to just reconnect with the truth, with the true meaning of Christmas, with the peace and joy that is surrounded uh, during that time. Uh, I think we'll recognize that Christmas isn't something that we're cursed with, right, that we just have to plow through, but that Christmas is actually something that we need. Christmas is what we need. Uh, So our first installment today, uh, Caleb talked about it, is Christmas is peace. That Christmas is peace. Already you're like, okay, yeah, not yet. Um, But we're going to tackle kind of a paradigm shift today that's going to redefine peace for us and make this something that's very possible. Uh, So we're going to tackle what is peace, what does God say that peace is, and maybe how we've been going about it, maybe in the wrong way. Because I hear Christmas is peace, and I think, okay, so far so good, we're about a service in, you know, we're all, Christmas music isn't annoying yet, and we're getting out our Christmas mugs, and cutting down the Christmas tree, and everything's good, and so, so far so good on Christmas is peace, um, but inevitably, it's going to happen. You're going to have the unwanted guest that shows up to Christmas. It's going to happen at everybody's house here. You can't avoid it. And you don't know when. Could be today. Could have already happened. Could be next week. But that unwanted guest that shows up is tension. And tension's going to show up, and you can't help it. It'll be there. And tension wears a thousand different hats. Um, on get-togethers, tension could be the awkward family dynamic, you know, the uncle that gets drunk and then brings up every time you got drunk, thanks for that, and then the cousin who just is, you know, so against Jesus being brought up in any context and wants to ridicule everything with that. Tension is there, and... Um, I think when I see it, when I see tension, when I recognize that it's there for me personally, I, I cringe because I, I have kind of this mindset that Christmas is about the celebration of the birth of Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. We celebrate the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and because of that, we need to create this very soothing calmness around our house, something that is celebratory, and there's just this serenity about the birth of Jesus, and this is all great. And tension, don't you dare rear your ugly head as I'm trying to celebrate Jesus, right? And so we do these things to protect ourselves, and we, um, we maybe during this time we hoard our finances, right, to make sure that no tension shows up in the financial department. We want to make sure that all, everything is accounted for. Or relationally, we don't want that awkward dynamic, and so we don't invite those relatives that cause all the drama because we want to set this up. And we think that by doing this, by insulating ourselves, by creating these barriers, by protecting ourselves, that, okay, it might not be perfect, but at least we're moving towards peace. At least we're taking some steps towards peace, and we're not. We're not. Actually, what we're doing is we're suffering from, my friend coined this phrase, but we're suffering from a tension deficit disorder. Attention deficit disorder. <clears throat> right. Attention deficit disorder says 
the less difficulty I experience, the better my life will be. The less difficulty I experience, the better my life will be. And if this is true, if this is how you're defining peace for yourself, then our recipe for peace becomes controlling as many outcomes as possible. Right? We, we, we need to control. If we start to see tension here, we grab something else and we control it. And we want to make sure and isolate and insulate ourselves there. Let's protect here. And so we control as many things as possible. Inevitably, we can't control everything. You guys know as well as I do. You can try all you want. And you cannot invite those relatives. They're still going to show up. right? They'll, they'll still be there. And you didn't invite them. And it's like, okay. Or... Um, around Christmas time, for your 15 years of hard work, you're rewarded with being laid off right before Christmas, or the housing market crashes, or there are a thousand different things that you can't control. My wife and I are, we try to be the best parents that we can, but we can't control every, we still spent seven hours last week in the hospital because my two-year-old drank half a bottle of Benadryl last week. He's fine, but you can't control everything. You can't control everything. It's impossible. And so we have these financial difficulties. and We want to minimize difficulty. That means my life is better if I minimize, so we minimize over here. Relational difficulty we want to minimize over here. We want to make sure that that's uh, the last thing that we experience. We are created for a longing for peace. That's what we want. What we really want for Christmas, what we really desire, at the root of our control is a desire for peace, a longing for peace. And we're not unique inside of this. As a matter of fact, every human that has ever existed, we are created with a longing for peace. We're created with a desire for peace. In the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is the part of the Bible before Jesus, God would speak through men called prophets and he would speak to his people through these prophets. So he would give the prophets a message or a vision, and then they would communicate it to God's people. Uh, so today we're going to read from Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet who was around the time 700 B.C., which means 700 years before the birth of Christ. And to give you context, the people that Isaiah is speaking to, very disgruntled people. They're very desperate. It's a very chaotic feeling surrounding the people of Israel during this time. There has been a savior that has been prophesied, and prophesied means foretold. There's a foretelling of a savior that's coming. It's been for thousands of years. There's a savior that's coming, and the savior that's coming is a king, and he's here to reconnect humans with God, and this is what we hope for, and this is what we keep longing for. And so the people of Israel are at wit's end. They're kind of having to be talked down off the ledge. It's 700 years before the birth of Christ, and God says, you need to comfort my people of Israel to Isaiah. Get in there and give them a word of comfort. They've wandered from me. They're feeling this disconnect. They need to know what's coming. So in chapter 40, starting in verse 1, he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity, which means sin, her iniquity is pardoned. So these people are confused and desperate and frustrated. 
And then God says to Isaiah, give them a word of comfort. Remind them the Savior's coming. Remind them that peace is coming to mankind. Um, to give you a further insight into uh, the mindset of the Israelites. You ever heard that song that's, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That song, that was the best that's ever come out. I've practiced that. <laughs> I don't know if we can record that and replay it for next service, but whatever. <laughs> um, Emmanuel means God with us. It's referring to Jesus. And this is the cry of the Israelites during this time. The words, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom this captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. So there's just this desperation, this cry out by the people of Israel. Then the next part inside of Isaiah is a prophecy or a foretelling of a man, and the man is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's role, his chief purpose in life, is essentially to pave the way for the coming Christ, for the coming Savior. That's John the Baptist's role. And so Isaiah says, years later, there will be a man that comes, and his job is to pave the way. So picking up here, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then he gives this cool depiction of the peace that is coming when Christ comes. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is their pep talk to a hurting people. He says, remind them, the Savior's coming, remind them that peace is on its way. Now, we talked a little bit before, the Bible's split into two sections, right? So you have Old Testament, you have New Testament. Old Testament is before Christ. New Testament starts with the life of Jesus, and then everything after. So this is happening 700 BC, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Listen to this. The last time that God speaks through a prophet to his people before the birth of Christ, here's the birth of Christ, is 400 BC. Okay, so listen to the angst and the desperation and the cry out of the people of Israel, 700 BC. There's another 300 years where there are prophecies and God speaking to his people through prophets, but then there's 400 years, it's called the 400 years of silence, where God isn't speaking. And so these guys had to be talked off a cliff at 700 years before the birth of Christ, and now it's 700, this isn't waiting six months for, you know, the new Hunger Games movie to come out, right? <laughs> this is generations upon generations, like, telling the Savior's coming, cling to this hope, cling to the hope of peace coming to mankind, right? They're saying cling to the comfort that Isaiah has given us, that God spoke through him. Generations. And so when, when we talk about the New Testament, we talk about the celebration of the life of Jesus, it's not just, hooray, we got a baby and some hay. Like, that's, that's not it. This is thousands of years of prophecy to a lamenting people who are crying out in desperation, wanting the connection back to God, the connection of the people back to God's heart. So that is why it's such a huge deal. So now when we go, maybe that gives you a little context, when we move to New Testament, New Testament is a big deal. That's the coming of Jesus. That's the celebration. So guess what? We're going to the New Testament. Woohoo! 
Bookmark time. Okay. Um, so here in Mark chapter 1, this is the life of John the Baptist. This is a surrounding the life of John the Baptist. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. This is all fulfilling that prophecy. And this was his message. This is it. This is what the people have been waiting for, right? After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is the victory march. Like, we're here. And so picture 700 years of frustration and desperation by these people that have finally it's at the pinnacle, and John the Baptist enters this time of chaos. He enters this time of hurting and desperation and frustration, and his message is, peace is here. His message is, the Savior has come. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus is here. Everything that's been prophesied is coming. We have a very hurting nation right now. We have a very chaotic nation right now. We have a very frustrated nation right now. All you have to do is YouTube videos of Black Friday and just watch those store swarms. I mean, it is chaos. It is chaos inside of our nation. Caleb alluded to Ferguson and all the confusion and anger surrounding that. What message are you sharing? What message are you sharing in the middle of this hurting, desperate world? Which, by the way, the message that you're sharing is probably a good indication of what message are you believing? What message are you believing? Look at your Facebook posts, right? Look at maybe the conversations that you have with your friends or at work. and um, are, you, are you adding to the mass hysteria inside of this? Or are they maybe a message of hate or of negativity or fear, when actually God has placed us here in the middle of a very chaotic, very hurting, very desperate time to preach a message of peace, to live and to believe a message of peace. So diving into what is this peace? Um, we are all created, everybody in here, when you look around, you see the physical bodies. We're all created with physical bodies. But more than that, we are created with a soul. And even more, our soul is created to exist in unity or connected with God. Right? Everybody has this. So the reason that the birth of Jesus is a big deal is because Jesus' life is a sacrifice for our independence from God. That is why Jesus was sent to earth is essentially because there's this disruption and because of Jesus' life here on earth, he lived a perfect life and then his sacrificial death, because of that, now we have the opportunity simply to say, 
I can't do this myself. I give up control. I've tried everything. I've tried insulating. I've tried protecting. I've tried to minimize difficulty. I've tried that, and I can't do it myself. I can't control everything. And now there's the availability to relinquish control. The Bible says that when we just simply say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for being independent to you. Then you are forgiven. And because of that, your soul is made right, is made one with God. That is the celebration surrounding Jesus. And so we are going to work with this um, definition today that peace is stillness of soul. That peace is stillness of soul. Now, your soul is still when it rests in truth, right? Your, stol- your soul is still when it is united with or connected with what has been created to be joined with. That is when your soul is still. Um, Romans 5.1 says it beautifully. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the second point is there's no peace without Jesus. We try. You can't create peace. You can't control enough things to create peace. Right? You can control all you want. You can create all the rest in your life that you want. You can even create margin in your life. Those are great things. But all of life's best practices are here. These are life's best practices. There's still this underlying issue that you can be doing life's best practices and your, your soul is still existing in this constant searching or turmoil or unrest that exists. The paradigm shift that we're talking about today is redefining peace. That peace is stillness of soul, not stillness of life. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Guys, what message are we sharing this Christmas season? Almost as dangerous, by the way, of the message of negativity and hate and fear, almost as dangerous as the message of survival. We hear that all the time, just... If I can just make it to January 1st, maybe I can just drink a bunch of special eggnog and pass out till January 1st, right? And that's not it. Because the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, is a story of victory, not survival. We we have an opportunity to do incredible, awesome things this Christmas season. God wants to use you to do incredible, awesome things. Not to survive. That's not what peace is for. Um, So finally, the last fill-in is that people need to hear. The message that we need to share, the message we need to live, is that peace is possible in the midst of chaos. Can't control everything that's going to happen. But peace is not stillness of life. Peace is stillness of soul. Um, I talked about margin a second ago, and it sounded like I hated on it. I'm not. Margin is incredibly necessary, and this season, God wants us to create margin in our lives, but he wants us to create margin 
not so that we can create peace, but so that he can use the peace in us to affect and to influence other lives. Uh, two years ago, I lived in Newport, and um, I was out one night getting gas, and uh, this guy comes up to my car and says, hey man, can I get a ride? And I was like, yeah, piece of cake, you know, hop in. So he gets in, and this guy smells of alcohol, and little did I know that this was going to start a two-hour journey, but uh, our first stop was we went to an impound where his car was impounded, and it looked like it had been there for a while, and we got his golf clubs out of his car, then we went to go pick up his bike, then we went to a house, then we went to another house. <laughs> it was quite a trip. But during this, we were talking the whole time. We were learning about each other and asking questions. And I, we found out we both lived in Florida, which was cool. We talked further, and I found out that um, I actually know this guy's son. That his son is one of a really good friend, is a good friend of mine, and that I work with him. And uh, I was just blown away. I, I couldn't believe this. And so at the end of the night, you know, I say goodbye, and I call my friend, and I say, dude, you'll never believe what just happened. And he gets very emotional very quickly. And he's, uh, it's obviously very tough for him to talk about. And he says, well, now you know, um, my father's an alcoholic, and that this is something that is very, very difficult for our family. And um, it's a very tough dynamic, and actually that, that door is kind of closed right now relationally. And we cried, we prayed on the phone, and it was, uh, it was tough. And I haven't seen my friend for a long time. We used to work together with FCA, but um, now I work for Mariners, so we don't get to see each other. Last week, here at Mariners HB, my friend came to visit. I hadn't seen him in so long, and it was just so good to see him. And he was there with his wife and his kids, and I just ran over and, like I normally do, give a big bear hug and, and held him and looked behind him, and his dad was there. This is last week here. And, um, boy, that caught me by surprise. Um, I just remember just thinking, like, how can this be? And after he pulled me aside and in front of his dad said, hey, I just want to thank you for that night for looking after my dad. And I said, yeah, of course. And I called him later and said, dude, how is this even possible? And he just said, my dad's been sober for four months. And it's not easy, it's very difficult, but we're taking these steps towards reconciling our family life. How awesome. Um, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says that good and evil both increase at compound interest. That's why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. He says, a single good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. We are preparing ourselves right now for the Christmas season. What are we preparing? How are we preparing our hearts? Are we trying to control stillness of life? Are we trying to minimize difficulty? Because I guarantee you in a couple months, the only thing that's gonna leave you is run down and frustrated. Instead, we have the opportunity to rest in stillness of soul, to recognize that God alone is good. And when we forfeit our control and expectations, God is able to do incredibly beautiful things. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. and uh, We want to model this idea of um, 
margin. And so we're going to create a little bit of time right now uh, for you guys just to spend some time with God and just speak back and say, how did, how did this message hit you? Uh, you may be in a, a state right now where uh, your soul is in that state of searching and unrest and turmoil. And it may be a time where you just need to say, I forfeit control. I give up. Uh, Lord, it's yours. I recognize that you alone are good. Maybe for some of us, we know that, we recognize it, but it's a recalibrating of our mind back to the stillness of soul. It's reminding ourselves that God is in control and that we just have to simply be and enjoy him. Inside of our youth leadership meetings, we have a phrase that we love to say. I'm going to leave you guys just during this time, explore what is God saying to you and then what are you willing to do about it? Give you guys some time.